Welcome to another exciting weekend message from Encounter Church. For more information, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. We are in our letters series. This is an entire summer-long series that we're working through. Uh, The reason it's called letters is because most of the New Testament, things like Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, these are actually letters that were written to churches in various communities. And so we've been making our way through Galatians, which is a region in the Middle East, uh, the area of Galatia, which is now known as modern-day Turkey. And so what we've been doing is we've actually been trying to emulate what the new believers or the disciples would do when they first received the letters. They would get together from a letter from an apostle like Paul or from Peter, and then they would read it together in a room and just discuss it and digest it. And it became scripture over time because it was clear that God was working through them. And so last week, we got through chapter 3. And the whole point of the book of Galatians has really been about Paul has been fighting this idea that anything outside of, of, of faith in Jesus Christ is wrong, that, that it's actually a false gospel. If you add anything to your salvation, to the idea that Jesus Christ alone, having faith in him is, what we, is how we find salvation. If you have rules that you have that are part of it, or, or regulations, or maybe even different beliefs that are not found in God's word, that that's actually considered a false gospel. And so last week, our emphasis was that faith alone in Jesus Christ is how we find our salvation. Now, what we're going to do today is we're actually going to cover two chapters, because I really want to get to Ephesians. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through chapters four and five. Now, verse, chapter four, it's going to be kind of rapid fire. Okay, every verse is going to be on the screen, just like we've been doing all month long, all throughout the summer. We're going to be actually just going verse by verse. And I'm not going to stop very much in chapter four. And then the meat of what we're going to be talking about today is in uh, chapter five. So let's go ahead and, uh, and read through ver- chapter four right now. All right, so think of it this way. He continues on. For the, the think about, remember, last week was about faith alone, okay, and how the law, the Jewish law, is no longer something that is, that is a requirement for Christians. Because think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything that they had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father has set. And that is why, it is, that is the way that it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were like slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Okay, if you remember last week, we talked about how the law actually was like a guardian for us until Christ came to set us free from it, right? So that's what he's saying. He's drawing a picture. If any of you have heard of trust funds or things like that, of parents who have said, okay, when you're 18 or 25, then you have access to these funds, that's the same concept. He's saying, look, the law that the Jewish people live under for for thousands of years, that was in place until Jesus Christ came to set us all free, and that's when it was our guardian. We continue this way, verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. I think I underlined that. Subject to the law. This is important to understand because Jesus was Jewish. That means that Jesus, before he is ultimately the sacrifice that lived for our lives and ultimately has paid the price for our sin and gives us freedom from the law, he actually had to be subject to it. And the Bible tells us that he followed every law, every ritual, every principle, and did not sin. He's the only person in all of humankind history to ever be able to do that. So he lived a perfect, sinless life. He was subject to the law. And the Bible also tells us that Jesus has, knows every temptation, that he struggled just like every other human being did. And we know that because he was subject to the law. The law tells us what we can't do. 
And how many of you know when somebody tells you what you can't do, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to go do that thing. So Jesus was subject to the law and yet did not break the law. Verse 5, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Abba is the word for like daddy, right? And so he's saying, now you are no longer a slave. This is great news, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir, which means we get the inheritance now of righteousness and of salvation. Verse 8, before you Gentiles knew God, we're Gentiles, people who don't know Jesus, people who are not Jewish, right? Then, so that means that everybody who was, who was not a Jewish person was called a Gentile. So it was like the haves and the have-nots, all right? So all of us, unless you have Jewish blood, are what's called a Gentile. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods, all sorts of them, that do not even exist so now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back? This is a great question. Why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Think about that for a second. This is a question that speaks to us even today. Why do we feel like we need to go back to the things of our old life, the things that have held us down? What is it? that holds us back? Why do we feel that we need to become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Verse 10, you are trying to earn God's favor by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work was with you for nothing. You see, these people were struggling so hard with giving up their old rituals. They felt like that if I just did the things that I was taught growing up, that somehow that was going to make me be better. And I see this in struggles with people. I see other churches around our community, God-fearing, wonderful Bible-based churches, but I see people who go to those churches who feel like because they follow certain seasons of life or they follow certain, certain holidays or, or special days of the calendar year that are even traditionally through the Christian year, which are good things, they're not bad things, but they feel as though if I don't do those things, that somehow I'm lacking something in my faith and that perhaps even maybe on the inside, that maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm afraid that, that if I don't observe these things or follow those specific practices, that perhaps God might just not let me into heaven one day. And that's what he's fighting here. He says, I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Verse 12, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you as I, to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you, Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. So apparently, Paul, when he first came and visited the, the people in the Galatian region, was sick. He just kind of maybe stumbled through. We're not sure what his sickness was, but he had something enough that it was clear that he wasn't feeling well. He said, but even though my condition tempted you to reject me, I mean, so imagine that, right? So a couple weeks ago, we had Samuel Strandberg who came in and, and was a guest speaker and preached to us. It was a great message. Imagine if he came up here and he had like boils all over his face and then he was just like, I don't know, something was happening. He's clearly in some problem or some sickness. Your first reaction is when you see somebody who's sick enough is to kind of reject them or to separate yourself. So clearly something was going on here. He says, surely you remember I was sick when I brought you the good news. And even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me. 
or turn me away. No, you took me in and you cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? That's a hard word, right? I mean, Paul's been hammering them week after week or, or in this letter for us. And God's been talking to us. And I believe God has been challenging you in different things when God's speaking through his word in this week. And I would ask you that same question. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Paul was saying, would you please remember what I brought you in the first place? I'm probably trying to bring you back to that. Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's okay, but let them do it all the time, not just when I'm there and ultimately they're trying to impress him. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish you were, I was here right now so I could change my tone, but at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scripture says that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Now, pause. Why? What happened was is that God told Abraham that he was going to have a child. He said, I promise you, I'm going to have, give you a baby, and one day your children are going to become greater than the sands of the earth. Your descendants are going to be so many, and God will bless all nations through you. But he was super old. He was such an old man at the time that he laughed and said, I don't think that could be happened, but I have faith that you can make it happen. But it was 13 years, I believe, between when God gave that promise and when Isaac was born. So in the middle of that time, his wife, Sarah, said, Abraham, I can't have babies anymore, so why don't you go sleep with my servant, Hagar, and try to get her pregnant, and then we'll have a baby. And it did happen, and that baby was called Ishmael. And so that's what he's painting a picture here of. He's recalling them back to that. The scripture says that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife, which was Hagar, and then one from his freeborn wife, Sarah. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. You guys know the story of Moses? Moses on Mount Sinai, that's where the Ten Commandments came from. That's where the law came from. The woman from the, the slave wife, the, the son from the slave is, is representing the law. And he says, and now Jerusalem, where all these people who are coming, who are trying to tell you, you have to act like this, is like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother, as Isaiah said in this song. Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman, Sarah was the desolate woman who couldn't have babies, who now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, Hagar. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. Eventually, God fulfilled his promise and gave him a son, Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what did the scripture say about that? And we're going to close out chapter four here. 
Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Now, I understand that the concept of slavery is a hard concept for us to understand. At that time, they had many servants and those servants were actually, they lived in the camp and, and it's different for us to understand. But at this time, what it's saying is just painting the picture to us that when we try to do things on our own human element, our own human way of trying to bring about what God wants in our lives, it actually removes us from the inheritance of what God has for us as children, right? We are children of God. The very beginning of the chapter said we are children and heirs, and that means we get this inheritance. Inheritance of freedom, inheritance of peace, inheritance of love, inheritance of salvation. But what he's saying is that if you choose to live by the other rules, if you don't live by God's freedom, in essence, you become guilty of the whole law. So chapter five, I promise it's not as long. This is what he says, chapter five, verse one. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every single regulation in the entire law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Verse 5. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness that God has promised us. What does this mean? <clears throat> Here's the deal. When we believe in Jesus Christ, what the Bible tells us actually is that now we are free from the law. We don't have to follow all those old rules and all those old regulations. All of those things were designed to just teach us that we needed a Savior. And the Bible tells us that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back. And when he does come back, the Bible tells us that he will then judge the world and we will be presented before the Father. And at that point, the Father will look at his son Jesus and see that he has a stamp of approval on us and we will be given righteousness. For any of you who are in a place now where you're saying, how do I know if I'm going to get to heaven? How do I know that I'm good enough? How do I know that no matter what I've done, that at the end of the day, when it's my time and I have to go back and I have to kind of make a calling for all I've done in my life, how do I know that it is enough? The Bible right here tells you that through faith in Jesus Christ, his stamp of approval is put on you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you have not done. It is the righteousness that comes because God looks through Jesus Christ and sees you through him. It's like a lens that is now put over you, a filter that has now been applied to your life. So, so what he's saying here is we are free from the law. And in a minute, he's going to say, don't use that freedom to engage into your, into your, to your sinful activity. What he's saying to you is that now because we can kind of do whatever we want, as long as we are pointing ourselves towards Jesus, as long as our hearts are right and we're walking towards him, we're saying, Abba, Father, Daddy, I need your help. Would you help me live my life? I want to be better than, than I used to be. As we're doing that, when the day comes, when the day comes when, when the Father will judge all of humanity, he's going to look at us and he's going to see Jesus on us. And that is the thing that guarantees our freedom. That is the thing that guarantees our salvation. It's wonderful. 
Verse 6, for when we, find, when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised or any of the law pieces. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth, he says? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. And frankly, he's saying nobody would care. If I stop telling people about Jesus, nobody's going to care. He said, I just wish that those troublemakers, I love this, who want to be mutilating you by circumcision would just do it to themselves. <laughs> Paul, man, he just puts it out there. Verse 13, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. What kind of freedom is he talking about? Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. See, here's the thing. For the Jewish people, they had this, old, this whole law, right, that was telling them they couldn't hang out with certain people. It told them that if they touched certain things, they were unclean, and they had to go do certain rituals and, and the cleansing ceremonies. They couldn't eat certain kinds of foods. They couldn't go to certain kinds of cities. In our context, I mean, the same concept of the law would be like, as me as a kid, I was growing up, I can't listen to non-Christian music. I couldn't watch certain types of movies. I couldn't, you know drink these types of things. My parents didn't want me to get different, uh, like an earring, whatever. There are all sorts of things, right? Whatever it might be in your life, in our modern day context, right? The difference between something that's right and that's wrong, there were all sorts of things that were placed upon the Jewish people and even on us today, okay? And what he's saying is that when you receive Jesus Christ, you now have freedom, that none of those things mean anything to you because you've risen above it, okay? That means that, that you can do anything. And Paul later on says in, in another, in another um, letter, he actually says that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So he's saying that even though we have freedom to do whatever the heck we want, because we know that faith in Christ ultimately is what's going to be the thing that gets us into heaven, what he's saying is, is that don't use this freedom to now go and to satisfy your sinful nature. Imagine. It's like... A lot of times in these people of encounter videos, we hear all the time that someone heard about Jesus when they were a kid or maybe when they were a teenager, but then they went to college and all those restrictions from home are off, right? And what ends up happening to them? They fall away from their faith. They kind of get out of the habit of church and, 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 and good relationships and they start partying. They start getting into all sorts of things. And then later on in life, they come back to their faith because they, they realize that that path is leading them into a place or creating them a person, making them a person that, that, that they don't want to be and that God ultimately doesn't want them to be. This is the same thing that's happening to the Jewish people that he's talking about is they don't have to have those rules and those laws anymore. So they used to not be able to be able to eat pork. But imagine for a second now, because they could go to someone's house who has pork, and now they're eating the pork. Man, these ribs are delicious, right? But then suddenly, they find out that, that those ribs came from, the, from the, the temple down the street, where, that, where it was sacrificed to idols from another god. 
And then now they're like, well, I don't know if I should be eating that, but okay, I guess I will because it doesn't matter, right? I can do everything. So now they start eating it. And before long, they start hanging out near the temple of the other gods. And now their friends are having a party in that temple of the other gods. So now they go and hang out in the party with those people. You see what I'm saying? Like the slope. What he's saying is, is that they have this freedom. We have this freedom. So there are TV shows, there are movies, there are music that we can listen to, there are magazines you can look at, there are beliefs, and there's all sorts of things that we are permissible to do as Christians. But we cannot allow anything to influence us away from who God is and what he wants for us is what he's saying. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love because it used to be that they couldn't help a homeless person. It used to be that they couldn't go and, and go into the leper colony and help the people who have leprosy to have comfort. They couldn't go near people who were different than them. They couldn't do any of those things. So he's saying, you have freedom now, not so you can go party. He said, you have freedom now so that you can love people. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. This is Jesus's words, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you were always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So there's this other nature, this other thing living inside of us as Christians, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of us that is trying to point us in a different direction. He's saying, let that guide you. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit of God wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces, and this is important for you to understand, are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. How many of you have ever wanted to do something good and ended up not doing it? How many of you have looked back on your day and said, man, I really meant not to do those things that I struggle with and then did them anyway. It happens all the time. And it happens because of this battle that's happening inside of us, these two natures. But verse 18, when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses any longer. And when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. This is, this is the fruit of following our sinful nature. Sexual immorality, that can mean a whole variety of things. It can mean Um, it can mean sex outside of a marriage relationship. It can mean um, lust. It can mean pornographic things. It can mean all sorts of things. Sexual immorality is any kind of sexual activity outside of the design that God has intent for it. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, which means making anything a God in your life. Sorcery, Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sinful things like these. Let me tell you again, as I have heard, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, now you look at that list, I look at that list, and I think, man, whoever that guy is, I don't want to be friends with him because that guy probably is on death row in a prison somewhere. I mean, if, if think about it, all of these things, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. I mean, these are, this is a person who is living their life off the rails, right? And most of us in this room, including myself, would say, well, I'm not that guy. But look at the list again, honestly. I bet you that every one of us in this room struggles with at least one of those items, right? I mean, I know I struggle with envy, I look at other people and I want, ooh, what was that microphone? Get 
active sometimes. I know I look at that list. I know I look at envy and I think to myself, I wish I had what that guy had. I know that ambition, you know, think about quarreling or outbursts of anger. Have any of you ever struggled with, with just getting so angry at something that you yell about it? Maybe even violent tendencies? I think all of us struggle with this. I think we could all find something on this list that we all deal with. Our sinful nature is alive and active inside of us. But then he counters it and he says this, if you live your life by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. You see, this is what we commonly call the fruit of the Spirit. Most of us, you know, know it as a one-liner. Maybe some of you have it on, a, on, a, on your wall there, you know, maybe at your house or maybe as you're growing up in a Christian home, there was a, a pretty picture with grapes and it had the fruit of the Spirit behind it. Yeah, some of you guys know what I'm talking about, Right? But this is in context of he's painting a picture of two different kinds of fruits. He's saying if you choose to live your life under the sinful nature, if you're going to allow the freedom that Christ has given you to do whatever the heck you want, and you use it to, crave, to fulfill the cravings of the things that naturally come to us as human beings, we're going to result in that person, the person who drives down the end of life and looks back at themselves and says, I left a wake of destruction behind me. He's saying, but as you allow the Spirit of God to live, to guide you and to live in your life, your life will look like this. This is the fruit. And this is how we judge. When I look for leaders in our church, when I look for people that I feel like God is moving in their heart, I look at people and I say, God, what kind of fruit is coming from them? Are they people who are full of love in their life, people who are joyful, people who have peace, even in the middle of struggle and t- of, of trial, people who have patience in the middle of frustrating circumstances, kindness and goodness, people who are faithful and will do it even when it's hard, people who are gentle and have a self-control and be able to say no when things are hard. These are the things that God looks for. These are the things in our lives, and none of us are perfect, so I don't think any of us, just like none of us probably have the entire list of the fruits of the sinful spirit, I don't think any of us are perfect and have exhibiting at all times the fruit of, of God's spirit. But these are what we should be striving for. So if you ever want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, how do I know this is God saying something to me? If I do the thing that I feel like I'm supposed to do, what's the fruit that's going to come of it? Is that fruit going to lead me to love or joy or peace? Or is that fruit going to lead me to anger or to drunkenness or to sexual immorality? We need to live our lives by the Spirit. And he closes with this. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. He's using very strong imagery. He's saying, we have a choice to make. It's not about whether you're circumcised or you're not. It's not about whether the law was good or not. What it really is about now is if you live your life for Jesus or if you're living your life for yourself. Are you living your life for love or are you living your life for your selfishness? And the things that draw you away from Jesus Christ He's saying, if you are found in Christ, then you will nail those passions and those desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. This is not something like, something like, oh, well, I think I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it's not a good thing, so I'm going to stop it. Like, crucifying is painful. 
I had a friend of mine, I won't say who he is, he's actually not in the States, so you don't know him, talking to him on the phone this week, and he told me that he struggles with pornography. I said, oh, yeah. I said, man, I understand that. That's a tough, that's a tough thing for a lot of men that, who deal with, with lustful thoughts and, and the imagery. It's all over the place. And he was like, yeah. He said, you know what? I can't even do it anymore at all, even if I wanted to. I said, what do you mean? He said, on my phone, I actually took Safari off my phone completely. I shut the internet off, completely off my phone. I can't even get new apps on my phone. He said, I felt, I felt so strongly that I was displeasing what God wanted in my life because I was allowing a gateway into my life that was causing me problems. That He actually found a pastor in his town who has the passcode for his phone, so he can't add you know, apps, he can't change things. So the only time he can ever get on the internet is at home on his desktop computer where he already has software there to, to keep him accountable. Now, I said to him, man, that is crazy. That's hard, dude. How, do you, how can you live a life that has like such... Like that, that has restrictions like that. What if you need to get like Google Maps? You know, what if you need to find out how, if a place is open? He says, I can't. I have to ask someone else on my phone. He said, but here's the thing, Jared. And I think he was talking about this. I would rather nail my passions and my sinful desires to the cross of Jesus Christ than to step on the cross of Christ with my feet because I, I'm not willing to do the thing that God asked me to do the thing that leads me into my own sinful desires. That's a hard word to hear. Jesus said it himself in, in, in Matthew and in Mark where he talked about you would rather, you'd rather cut off your own hand than allow that hand to become a thing for theft. Or I'd rather poke out your own eye than to allow your entire eye to be led into hell because of your desires, right? That's what he was saying there. And I applaud my friend. I applaud him for taking such a drastic, painful step in his life. And I don't know what that is for you, but what he's saying is, he's saying those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions. That's a painful thing. And desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them, killed them, not allowed any opportunity to come back. In verse 25, we finish here. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another, or be jealous of one another. And that ends chapter 5. Come on! Thanks for listening to this message from Encounter Church. If you call Encounter Home, or if you would like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterPGH.com and click on the Support Encounter tab on the left side. This is a quick and simple way to stay up to date with your regular giving. We hope you join us next week.